0: Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.
1: Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Allora, io ricordo e chiudo e vi ringrazio che in uno dei primi eventi di Fratelli d'Italia, First up, Jerry will give us a quick update on Italy's elections, in which a far right Catholic politician is expected to become the nation's first female prime minister.
2: Synodality is a process, it's not something that happens overnight, it's very much a journey. After that, we
1: turn to Friscati, a town outside Rome, where a group of experts are putting together the first global synthesis of the Synod on Synodality's listening sessions. O passa a ser uma de pela e do Finally, Pope Francis has appointed Cardinal José Tolentino Mendonça as head of the Vatican's new Dicastery for Culture and Catholic Education will tell you who Cardinal Tolentino is, what this new office does, and what high-profile appointments we're expecting next in the Roman Curia. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry.
2: Good afternoon from a windy and rain-threatening Rome, Colleen. We had very warm weather for a long time, and now the rains have come and people are happy.
1: And, Jerry, you have a new prime minister.
2: Well, not yet. Not yet. We have had elections on Sunday. Two days before, we had eight mild earthquakes across Italy, different parts of the country. And then we had the earthquake of a political nature on Sunday, which saw for the first time since 1946 the right and far right winning the election, Mm -hmm. and winning control of both houses of parliament. So for the first time, Italy will have, in 70 years of a republic more or less, it will have a woman prime minister.
1: So we should say her name is Giorgia Maloney. She's expected to win. And she's invoking a lot of Catholic and Christian language, but her views are expected to clash with Pope Francis's
2: Well, on some issues, maybe. I would say perhaps on the immigration question, Mm -hmm. where Frances is saying to to Europe, not just to Italy, they must be more generous and open the borders to people fleeing from war, fleeing from hunger, fleeing from climatic changes. Mm -hmm. Uh, She is saying we have to restrict, we have to really come down on the numbers that are coming in from North Africa. And she's even suggested in the campaign that they would send out naval ships to block the flow of people and go to the North African countries and try and make deals with them that they don't send. So so that's gonna be a question. She's part of a wave of sovereign national states that are emerging in Europe, which say we want our nationality and identity as a country recognized, not be governed from the center of bureaucracy in Brussels of the European Union. Pope Francis has said to all the European countries, be very careful of saviors, people who present themselves as the Messiah to resolve all your problems. And he's warned them to try and keep the unity of the European Union. And of course, this is an issue which they will, the Vatican will be watching very carefully in terms of her government.
1: All right, Jerry, let's turn our view now to Frascati, which is a small city just outside of Rome, maybe an hour south. This week, a group of 33 experts from five continents are gathered in that city in Frascati to draft the first global summary of the Synod on Synodality's listening sessions. So these experts are a variety of people, men and women, religious and lay, theologians, non-theologians. Only two of the 33 are bishops. And they'll be working together for the next two weeks to draft a document that's going to become the jumping off point for the next phase of the synod, which is the continental phase. We have an upcoming deep dive episode about the synod on synodality that's going to unpack a lot of this. And for that episode, you interviewed Cardinal Mario Grec, who works in the synod secretariat. I was wondering if you could Just summarize for us briefly what he shared with you about the next steps for the synodal process.
2: Well, as you you just explained, he said they are now in Frescati. And for people who don't know where Frescati is, they will know where Castle Gondolfo is, and it's not very far away from there.
1: This is the Pope's vacation home.
2: The Pope's summer—what was the Pope's summer residence?
1: That is no longer used that way.
2: (laughs) Francis doesn't use it, no. And— So he said, I've taken it in in the past when the bishops' conferences send in the feedback from consultations that were done. The documents would stay in Rome and at maximum two people would review them and then draft a synthesis.
1: You're talking about in past synods
2: here? In past synods. I mean, before Francis' time. Mm -hmm. Even during the, the, the early synods of Francis, he said, we've decided to do something different. We've decided to take all the feedback reports from the different countries, uh, from the different bishops' conferences, and he underlined that it's been a historic response, because you've got out of 114 bishops' conferences around the world, 111 have sent in reports, and the other three or four who haven't have been unable to do so because of war or because of uh, turmoil, political turmoil in the country.
1: Jerry, I actually got an updated count this morning. They now have
2: 112. Well, that's great, yes. Yes. And then, secondly, uh, he said, instead of giving it to one or two experts to do it, we've called in from around the world, from the different continents and different countries lay people, men and women, religious, and uh, some clergy, and two bishops. And we're going to sit together, and they've divided, I think, in 12 groups, and they will, partly language, but also Uh, around themes, and they will study until, he told me, they will return on the 3rd of October.
1: Mm -hmm. It's a good long time.
2: Yeah, but the last two days, after all these people have, have worked on the document, come up with a text, then they will be joined by the Council of the Synod. That's a group of 15 bishops about. Who, most of whom were elected by the last ordinary assembly. That was the Synod on Youth, I think.
1: Yeah, and if I remember correctly, because we, we covered that synod together, that, that group that was elected as the Synod Council, their job is to kind of shepherd the next synod, right?
2: Well, their job is twofold. One is to ensure the implementation of the last synod, and secondly, to o- open the doors and steer the next synod. And and so they have been given the task of reviewing this final report, which will be drafted by the 35, however many people are out in Frascati. And then they will have the task of approving this document. Cardinal Grech will take it then to the Pope. The Pope will look at it and then give his approval. So the, the hope is that by the end of October, there will be a final report, a final document on the input from all these countries. And that will then be sent to each of the bishops around the world. So that will go out at the end of October, the beginning of November, and then the bishops will have two months to look at it, to check and see if what is in that document actually reflects some of the things that they in their particular country have said.
1: And this is the really interesting part. You know, this synod is, has this kind of unprecedented effort to listen to the local churches and then bring that all together. And actually, what we've been hearing, you and I, as we've prepared this deep dive episode is that there's this effort at circularity is what they're calling it or restitution. So when this document gets circulated to the bishops, they're not just supposed to look over at themselves as bishops. They're also supposed to circulate it to a team within their diocese that includes lay people, that includes the marginalized voices who are, you know, are supposed to be included in this synodal process. And those folks are also meant to give feedback on whether they feel that what was discussed in their local church is present in the document. So it's interesting that they're still, incorporating lay people into this process incorporating marginalized voices even though you know there was some concern at the beginning that this would kind of go off to the bishops and then who knows what they'll do with it
2: yes i think this is really a, a kind of you know checks and balances hmm. because the ingredients of this report have come from the different countries. Then it's been put into like a pasta, like a a cake or something. Now they're being sent back. You you taste and you you verify that it's actually reflecting what's been said in your countries. And then the the bishop, when he's got the feedback from from the various groups in, in his diocese, sends it to the bishop's conference, and he will say, we're happy with it, or we wish to add this. And then a final product will come from the bishop's conference, which will come back to Rome.
1: Yeah. And so around January, we expect for the Continental Assemblies, which is the next part of this to start. And so they'll be working from the document that includes all the feedback from this kind of circular process. Jerry, I I know that, you know, as we talk about this, it can kind of give the impression of like a purely democratic or sociological process, right? Where all of this feedback is given and then it's synthesized Cardinal Grek, in your interview, tried to move away from that language. He prefers to call this a discernment. He says it's not just summarizing what was said, but it's also an effort of discerning where the Holy Spirit is speaking in all this feedback. And he actually confirmed for you one big instance when the Pope had to make an important distinction between discernment and majority feedback.
2: I've actually heard this before from some of the participants at the Senate on the Amazon. You remember in the Synod on the Amazon, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of push for the Pope to approve the ordination of mature married men. That was one of the requests. There was also a push on more ministries for women. But on this question of the mature married men, he said, the Pope said to me when I went to him, you know why I didn't approve this? I didn't feel there was sufficient discernment. He'd felt there was a... An agenda push, a push to get approval, but there wasn't the sufficient spiritual reflection on this particular request.
1: And this is why he decided not to go forward with that, even though the majority had recommended it at the Synod.
2: Yeah, Yes, but it's very interesting. The Cardinal confirmed what I've had from other sources. He said, the Pope did not say no to this proposal. But he did not say yes.
1: He said, it needs time, right?
2: The synod needs time. And uh, so, in other words, the reflection has to go deeper, and it has to be spiritual, and it has to be prayerful. He said, we're not a parliament uh, where, you know, you propose something, it gets voted in or out, up or down. And he said, we have to reflect more deeply on this.
1: Let me jump in and ask you why this is a big deal. Like, why— what you read in this comment, what you take away from it, because I feel like you know, some people listening might be like, oh, the Pope says that we might get married priests eventually. I feel like what you're saying is, is something different about how the Pope approaches this.
2: Yes, the Pope is very keen that uh, the synods and the synod process is not hijacked by pressure groups. And uh, in fact, the Cardinal said to me, I said, are you afraid of pressure groups? people with an agenda who want to get it through Senate. He said, I'm not afraid of these, but I hope if it's going to be hijacked, it's going to be hijacked by the Holy Spirit.
1: Such a great quote.
2: It's a great quote. and He, he said, uh, this has to be done in prayer and in other words, one has to try and look at the, as I understood it, that you look at the proposal uh, and in a way be indifferent to, to the outcome. You try and pray about it and see, is this what the way that God is asking the church to move at this present moment. Mm -hmm. And obviously Francis has suspended judgment on this. He hasn't said no. And uh, I've seen many reports and Francis has said no to the ordination of of mature married men. It's not the case. Uh, Francis has suspended judgment. He wants a deeper, more profound, more spiritual reflection to see if indeed that is what the church wants. And... Remember now in the in the Amazon, there are sort of seven, nine countries involved in an ecclesial conference which is reflecting on this. And I, I would not be surprised if, if a day they come back and say, we've prayed together, we've risen, and they share it with the Pope. We may get an answer then.
1: Yeah, and Jerry, this is an invitation then to everyone who's involved in this synodal process to ask themselves, you know, How am I approaching this? Am I thinking of my own agenda, or am I trying to focus on what the Holy Spirit might be saying? Which is also the approach that they're taking in Friscotti this week. There is a lot of silence built into this meeting, a lot of prayer, daily mass. They're really trying to make sure one that everything they raise is grounded in the documents that they've all read, these synthesis reports from different countries, but also that it's all grounded in prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit.
2: As we gather in Frascati, we'll be doing so with these syntheses we've read in our minds and hearts. Each of us has been assigned to read these, to analyze them, to pray with them, and to discern together what is being called forth by God as we enter into this next continental phase.
1: Now I know that the question on everyone's mind is going to be, what are they talking about? What are the proposals that are coming up? They've been a little bit cagey, the, the folks I've talked to, about disclosing exactly what topics are coming up. I think they don't want to stoke any kind of um, media speculation. But actually, the Senate Secretariat has been pretty active on social media, giving a look inside the meeting. So they have this Costa Rican filmmaker, David Costa, who's making videos on their YouTube channel every couple days. And I'll link to those uh, if our listeners want to watch them. But we we know that the first day was a day of prayer. After that, they broke up into these different groups by ecclesial status. So that is like priests, religious, lay. Then they broke up into topic groups, gender groups, language groups. They've, They've split into different ways to focus on topics from different angles. And I wanted to share a little bit from... This YouTube video that they posted about what the Senate reports are saying about the role of women, because they did a whole YouTube video on this. So this is a quote from Susan Pascoe, who is on the Synod's methodology team.
0: The issue of
2: the role of women and their exclusion from key decision-making roles has been prevalent in almost every report.
1: Jerry, we're going to keep our listeners up to date on what else we learn from this Friscotti meeting. And in the meantime, for our listeners, stay tuned. We'll have that deep dive episode on the Senate on Synodality coming out in mid-October. So you and I are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll look at the appointment of Cardinal José Tolentino Calasa de Mendoza, who is the first of what we expect to be a swath of new high-level Vatican appointments that the Pope is making following his reform of the Roman Curia. Stay with us. appointed Cardinal Jose Tolentino Calasa de Mendoza, or just Cardinal Tolentino for short, to head the Vatican's new Dicastery for Culture and Education. This appointment was rumored for a long time, but it was officially announced yesterday, the day before we're recording, on Monday, September 26th. Now, this new Dicastery for Culture and Education was created when Pope Francis's new Constitution for the Roman Curia that came into effect back in June merged the Congregation for Catholic Education and the Pontifical Council for Culture. And Cardinal Tolentino's appointment is expected to be the first in a slate of high-level appointments resulting from that curia reform. So we're gonna talk quickly about who Cardinal Tolentino is, what's this new office, and then what appointments we're expecting next. So Jerry, first, Who is Cardinal Tolentino? What do our listeners need to know about him?
2: Well, he's a cardinal from Portugal, from the island of Madeira, Mm -hmm. and uh, he's a very well-educated man because he was got degrees uh, in theology from the Gregorian University. Also, he studied in New York as well.
1: Yeah, studied law and justice in New York.
2: Yes, and he's a man of great literary talent. Mm -hmm. He, He writes poetry. He, I, I think he's written one novel. He's written plays. Yes, plays, and he's written articles all over the place. I saw today in the Italian, the Avenire, the daily paper of the Italian bishop saying, well, he, he was a regular col- columnist for us.
1: Yeah, he was.
2: And he, he's really prolific in terms of writing and uh, talks, and, and he's a very easygoing man, a very nice man. When he was brought to Rome to be in charge of the... Vatican Library and Archives. He was the librarian and archivist of the Holy Roman Church. Mm -hmm. That really also contains the uh, Vatican Secret Archives it was surprising that he, such a young man came in there. He, he's 56, and he hmm. came in when he was 54.
1: That's young by Vatican standards.
2: It's Normally, about the age you're given the job is when you're in the 70s. Got it. So uh, people wondered, you know, why is the Pope putting such a young man in a job that's often reserved for older people? Mm-hmm. And now we see the strategy. He is putting him as head of the... They call it the dicastery here, but for, for most English speakers, this isn't a, a word we use. You call it ministry or uh, a department, the, the Vatican Department for Catholic Education and Culture.
1: Which makes sense for a really educated and cultured man like Cardinal Tolentino. I'm curious. I, I think that he is more popular in other parts of the world than in the United States. What is the perception of him in the Vatican?
2: In Rome, everybody recognized this man has great talent. Uh, he's in, he's as I said, he's in a position that's surprising. And so everybody was expecting him. And for months, we've been expecting him to be appointed to, to this position. It's a perfect fit in many ways. He's, he's polyglot, and he's completely on the page of Pope Francis in terms of Outlook, a church that reaches out, a church that is open, that is inclusive, that is not condemnatory, that's trying to encourage, not to discourage, that's trying to open doors, not to close doors.
1: It seems like Pope Francis is clearly a big fan of this cardinal. What what do we know about their relationship?
2: Well, I don't know exactly where the Pope first met him, but in 2018, he invited him to preach... The Lenten Retreat to the Roman Curia. Invited to preach the Lenten Retreat means that the Pope has his eye on this person. And it was obviously a success because uh, shortly afterwards, uh, the, the Pope uh, decided to make him a bishop. Barely six months later, he was ordained a bishop. And then he brought him to Rome.
1: Now let's turn to this new office or dicastery that Cardinal Tolentino will be running. We mentioned it's the result of merging the Congregation for Catholic Education and the Pontifical Council for Culture. So, Jerry, what can you tell us about the office's mandate? What's its job? Why is it important?
2: Well, it it oversees the appointments of many Catholic universities. For example, recently I wrote about the Gregorian University, the candidacy of Father Mark Lewis had to go through this office before it went to the Pope. They're the final stopping point before the Pope in terms of the appointments. Secondly, they look at the curriculum. And then there's this ongoing exchange between them and Catholic universities and schools and colleges. And it's a body that oversees, but it's no longer the body that controls. Francis has insisted that what the Curia is doing, what the officers of the Curia are doing, is engaging in dialogue engaging in sharing experiences, sharing ideas, not being the schoolmaster, you know, calling the pupils to task for what, or the teachers to task for what has or hasn't been done.
1: Yeah, I see a parallel here with how Pope Francis has been doing the bishops ad limina visits. So when bishops from around the world come to Rome to kind of meet with the different Vatican dicasteries, uh, there's a parallel in how he's done that differently where he brings all the bishops, sit in a room together, and they kind of kick around ideas, he says, like a like a football match, rather than kind of getting them together and reading them the riot act, which is what it had been before. So you, you see that the Catholic education office uh, and now the Pontifical Council for Culture, this this combined office
2: is meant to be doing that. Yes, but it's also within the overall framework of evangelization.
1: Right, which is so important, which is the key focus of this new Curia reform.
2: Yes, the whole point of the church, of, of the Roman Curia, the office, is to preach the gospel, to communicate the gospel, to engage in dialogue with other religions, with the other Christian churches, etc. And this will be part of its task as well in the field of education. It's a fundamentally important task. What about the culture part of this office? The, the culture part is, is really a fascinating dimension of it and i've always thought that it was strange that these were two separate departments as it were in the vatican mm-hmm. the culture part is really on the frontier of many of the developments in in the field of for example artificial intelligence in modern developments in medicine in in technology etc and it holds periodic uh, conferences in this, and I'm very pleased to see that the man who's played a very big role in the Council of Culture with Cardinal Ravazzi the Irish Bishop Paul Taig, who now will continue in that same role in the new dicastery department of the Vatican. He really takes the Church's dialogue into the world of culture and into the world of the advanced technologies.
1: Cherry. the last thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, this is expected to be the first in a series of these high-profile curia appointments because we've had, you know, offices being combined like this. We have some people approaching retirement age. So can you just give us a rundown of what appointments we're expecting next?
2: Well, I think the one most people are waiting for now is the retirement of Cardinal Mark Willet, the Canadian head of the Congregation for Bishops. He is uh, 78. Everybody's expecting him to be replaced. There are several other people whom are expected to be replaced before the end of the year. One is also the head of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, Father Ladaria, Cardinal Ladaria, who is also, also I'm told, he, he wants to retire. Got it. He, he feels he's his, given his service. He's also on 78. We also have the head of the uh, dicastery for uh, consecrated uh, life, the Brazilian Cardinal Brasdaziz. He is near that. Uh, There is uh, Cardinal Piacenza, who is head of the major penitentiaries. So there could be quite a few changes in, in the next three, four months.
1: All right. So we will be keeping our listeners up to date on all of those appointments as they come down the line, as they happen. And in the meantime, we'll be keeping an eye on this overall change in the Roman Curia. We mentioned that the Pope issued this big reform document, and now it's a matter of watching how it gets implemented, how it goes into play. Jerry, thanks so much for talking with me this week about all these stories. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Colleen. I always enjoy our conversations, and I hope our listeners do too.
1: One last story that we wanted to mention but didn't get time to discuss today, Pope Francis traveled to Assisi this past weekend for the Economy of Francesco conference, which brings together young economists who hope to build a more equitable and sustainable economy inspired by St. Francis of Assisi. In Assisi, the Pope and the young people signed what they called a covenant to dedicate their lives to building that kind of economy. You can read more from Assisi and more about all of today's stories at the link in the show notes. Inside the Vatican is an America Media podcast. Sebastian Gomes and Maggie Van Dorn produced this episode. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. We had production help this week from America Media O'Hare fellow Cristobal Spielman and from Robert Balassare at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. If you want to keep up with the latest Vatican coverage from America Magazine, follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. And you can find all of our coverage at americamagazine.org. While you're there, please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Magazine. It's really easy to do, and it is the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see
0: you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.